Welcome back. This is the second segment of the 35th edition of Boston Radio. The guest on this show is Jude Gold, and we'll pick up where we left off talking to him. But first, here's another excerpt of Jude playing. This is a technique he calls galloping harmonics. It's from an MI lesson. Take these chords here. Super happy chords. Too happy, right? Let's make them nasty. Let's talk about GIT and how you got that gig. It's still called GIT, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, nowadays it has the two names, GIT and also simply just the Guitar Program at Musicians oh. Institute. Okay. And um, just, you know, as a working musician and also as a member of Guitar Player Magazine and, and all these other things, you end up interfacing with a lot of different companies. The guitar industry is gigantic, but it's also kind of small. I'm always telling students, like, there's all these guitar companies, but... Yet it's also a really tight family, too. Like, if you just, there is work for you. If you're really dedicated to guitar, you're going to find your place in the world of guitar. Uh Whether it's being a rock star or whether it's working for a guitar company or whether it's doing setups or being a guitar tech for a band or teaching lessons or being a touring musician yourself or a sideman or music for video games or being the artist relations guy for a guitar company or product manager or going into marketing. Mm-hmm. such an amazing industry. So yeah, you will find different opportunities open. Mm-hmm. And this opportunity opened for me to come down to LA, which is just, you know, a one hour flight from my hometown in San Francisco, mm-hmm. or, you know, five hour drive if you drive like I do. Yep, um, I have many times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, so I was absolutely you know, the hub of the entertainment industry. It's just such an exciting place down here. So I chose to absolutely moved to L.A. finally. I played music here a million times, but to actually live here and, and figure out the mysterious, crazy, wild city of yeah. Hollywood, <laughs> Los Angeles, has been very, very interesting. And so I came here like three and a half years ago, absolutely. Do you live in Hollywood? Or are you in North Hollywood or in the Valley? I live kind of like between Hollywood and West Hollywood over here. Ah, in the stylish um, 213 area code? I guess it's 323. Mostly, 323 right now. now, yeah. If you're getting a cell phone, get 310 because then it'll say Beverly Hills and then you'll impress everybody. <laughs> That's right, Beverly Hills. Did you take over from Joe Elliott? Was he the head of GIT when well, you... Elliott uh, was at some point. I, oh, I mean, Beth Marlis, maybe. Yeah, technically I took over from Beth Marlis, who's, uh-huh. who's fantastic, and she's the one who contacted me and invited me. She's just an amazing person. She would promoted to one of the vice presidents of the school and uh-huh. she's like on the hollywood chamber of commerce and oh wow she creates all these fantastic scholarships for the guitar program so a, yeah when she moved up she needed somebody to kind of mm-hmm. be to be the guitar specific person the rest is history so what's that like managing this crew of motley great guitar teachers it's magical really because there's just so many different types of player on staff i mean 
this is one of the beautiful things and one of the tragic things is that the average guitar student has not even, they'll be here a year and a half and doesn't even really necessarily get to play with every single teacher, although they, they could because there's plenty of open hours. It's just, it's just kind of overwhelming. We have about 45 teachers on staff, and each one of them does open counseling, as I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh, I love open counseling. It's, it's my f- like the greatest thing. <laughs> my like, favorite. It's so the one thing I really miss. I taught there for maybe 15 years, and oh my gosh, I just love open counseling. And I, it was for me as a teacher, I would learn so much stuff in open counseling from other students. It's so true. The students, you show them something, and they come back the next week, and they've take, got their own take on it. And it's just a constant reminder that guitar playing is a work in progress. We're just the humans that happen to be the custodians of this art called guitar playing, but it just keeps on evolving with us or without us. Oh, yeah. You know, you show a concept to a student or a technique, and if that student plays it for a week, he or she will come back the next week with a fresh take on it, something brand new. Right. And I think that's a huge reason why the teachers teach here. I mean, I'm always asking players, like, why do you teach here? You don't have to necessarily. I mean, Carl Verheyen's one of the most established studio players in, really? the, mm-hmm. in the world, and he Learjets around with, Super Tramp for half the year. Like, why do you teach her every week? And he just loves it. He just loves to come here and bounce guitar ideas around with other guitar players. I talked to Paul Gilbert, who teaches here a lot. And uh-huh. He just loves it. He's just, he says that he understands his own playing so much better when he's forced to go under the hood and kind of to explain it to a student who maybe doesn't quite understand what he's doing. He's, his metaphor is that he opens the hood, you know, jacks up the car, takes out the engine and actually pulls out the moving parts and figures out how his particular lick is working. Like, what is the engine behind that lick? Yeah. And he just gets such a thrill out of communicating that to students. Yeah. He comes here regularly to do that. I have a great new video that I do. I walked into one of the lessons and it was just great. He was jamming with a student named Brian Shu. Mm-hmm. I called it on YouTube. It's called Paul Gilbert Guitar Deathmatch. <laughs> Look up Paul Gilbert guitar deathmatch, and you'll just see this magic of just two guitar players just doing their thing, trading licks. You know, wow. he came and he's like, "This week I want to work on twelve eight time." So we had all his students working on playing in twelve eight. Mm-hmm. So I just happened to walk in, and they were just totally tearing it up in twelve eight. So grab your video camera. Yeah, the iPhone. Just there it was. iPhone, of course. Great videos came out to this really cool little kind of sort of like viral video. Just oh, put cool. it out like five days ago. Really fresh. So let's talk about gear. I see pictures of you with so many different guitars. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a main one? I always have a main one uh-huh. of the moment. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I've been on a real tele kick lately, you know, the vibiness of the Telecaster. Like, I was trying to explain to a keyboard player, my friend of mine who plays guitar, like, he says, I have a Les Paul. What's another guitar I should get for my studio for when I'm tracking? I'm like, he just something so magical about the telly whether you play country or not it just it fits in the mix so amazingly well like the shimmering texture so like especially in the middle position with both pickups on like uh-huh. the, it has the perfect mids the secret to guitar playing i'm becoming more and more convinced is sweet mid-range so you don't have to spend hours eqing it or finding where to fit it just fits in the mix the telly is a great example of that i play it on the funky town right video I also stumbled into a really nice gig helping Kristen Chenoweth, the famous actor and right. um, singer. She had a country record out on Sony just at the very end of last year, and we did all these things like The Tonight Show. I saw a video of you doing that. 
she's yeah that a beautiful actress and a country artist. What was it like doing the Tonight Show? It's funny. Uh, the first impression I'll tell you is just freezing. They keep those some of those stages so cold. And normally it doesn't really matter, but like if you're like in one room and then you bring your guitar into that room, like like they don't want people to sweat on camera and they don't want the host to get sweaty, so they keep it like it's like a meat locker on that set. You know, I never thought about that, but you know, absolutely, I've been to those sound stages and um, so many times, and you're right, it's cold, really cold in there. So it's like <laughs> kind of want to leave your guitar on the set so that the strings stay in that tuning because if if you're picky about the stuff, like your strings actually will contract, right? Go a little sharp if you're out in the hallway where it's normal temperature, and then you hop onto the soundstage and it's down 20 degrees or whatever it is. Maybe the wood adjusts also. I'm not sure, but like yeah, whatever it is. But mostly, especially the metal, I think, and metal uh-huh. will uh, go a little sharp. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Maybe it's simply psychological, and that your fingers just feel weird when you go in there, and <laughs> you're not. Because so, it's that, so that's my first impression, but. I always tell people, too, like, if you've never done TV, the first time you're thinking about it, it seems kind of really daunting. But in, in some ways, it's less pressure than doing a live show. I mean, sure, you're going out to, like, every household in the entire country, millions of people, but at the same token, you get, like, all day to sound check one song. Uh-huh. And when the cameras are off, like, in between takes, you really get a chance to, like, kind of, like, really get to dial in during that commercial break and get ready. And, and uh, so you're you're up there... You don't really feel the, however million, many millions of people are uh-huh. out there watching. It's just, it's kind of you're just kind of removed from that. Uh-huh. We did the awards show, the country awards show. That's a little bit more hectic. Fox American Country Awards that we played. You know, those kind of shows are intense. I'm just so impressed with the stage crews where they can get so many bands, 15, 20 bands mm-hmm. on and off yeah. in these commercial breaks and remember your settings and get everything plugged in and get the mics and get the mix up. Just there, they roll up your amp, plug in your pedal board and boom you're uh it's just fascinating on the tonight show if there's a delay that's okay it's taping ahead of time they can hold off cameras until you're all ready uh-huh. but that show that's live all is mm-hmm. coming up after the commercial break it's live and mm-hmm. if your guitar's not in tune or your some cable's not working or some <laughs> that's the battery's worn out there's you're dead so that yeah. was a little more intense let's talk about pedals um do you have any favorite pedals? I've got zillions of favorite pedals. Um, I think my pedals, I think they breed in the night or something, because every morning it seems like there's more of them around the apartment. <laughs> I know. Me I've too. got just, I just had a lot of fun with the DD7 this weekend, actually, because that is the, one of the most clever delay pedals, the way that it has so many different modes, and it's so small. I agree. Simple. Like This weekend I went into stereo explorations. Like It's fascinating to me that if you plug into the one jack straight on, you get a typical stereo ping pong thing. Mm-hmm. If you want to get like kind of the edge kind of sounds to really get that really wide left and right thing. Right. But one of the many interviews I did with Reverend Horton Heat, and I just love the way he has the slapback sound. Mm-hmm. He has a slapback echo coming out of one amp, and then say on the right amp, he's going clean. Yeah. That's a really professional way to go, because then you can have your stereo sound on stage, and then the front of house mixer can mix the level of delay that he needs out front. Right. Chances are they might not need as much or it just translates differently. Yeah. So, and it's so easy to do that simply by plugging into the B jack instead of the A jack. Instantly the DD7 pedal switches to that mode and now 
all the effects are going out of one side. Dry out of the number one side and then totally the delayed side out of the other side. When you're doing that, do you have no repeats? So you just have the delayed guitar? I usually have a couple of repeats. I'm kind of into like a... The I slap. I can't get over how cool a stereo slapback sound. I really like the guitar to sound huge, so that kind of doubles it a little bit. And anyway, I can make the guitar sound more three-dimensional. I mean, I'm just such a huge proponent of stereo. We have two ears. Why shouldn't our guitar come out of two speakers? Right. It's so simple. The only reason not to be in stereo is it can be difficult to mix on certain club stages or, you know. The DD7, you mentioned that it does so many different things. I like to use it just in the effects loop of a mono amp, and then I use the analog delay, which kind of gets out of the way of the main guitar tone. It's just kind of this warm background noise, which covers up any, like, well, <laughs> I kind of say delay is one of the acceptable things you can use to maybe cover up any notes that aren't quite perfect. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's using the DD7 completely different than the way you're talking about it. Yeah, there's so many ways to use it. It's such an all-in-one pedal, and it's cool because it's really smart usage of all the various little hardware components on there. I want to ask you also, a um, long time ago, one of the teachers at GIT, I don't know if you know him, Danny Gill, Danny always used the Boss SD-1, and I would just look over at it and just, well, that's cool. And then finally, I tried it, and it just blew me away. But then Paul Gilbert uses the DS-1, and George Lynch has the DS-1, and Satriani uses the DS-1. Is there a Boss distortion or overdrive that that you like mostly? I love the DS-1. I've had a religious experience with that when I was a... <laughs> teenager in high school, me and my buddy were running a strat through a, a simple Mesa Boogie combo, and we were getting a cool tone and everything, and then somehow when we put the DS-1 on there, it was perfect. We were actually doing a recording, and it, it just killed. It was just fat enough, but it still had, like, this sparkly sound enough with it to sound dimensional, you know, to, to give us yeah. that the mass that we needed without sacrificing the definition. So that was really cool. I actually have a Keeley modded one, too. Like, I sent that off to Keeley, and... Uh-huh. I think I like it better now. I, I can't even tell. I mean, they, either way, it sounds great. <laughs> you know, I have tried the Keeley ones and the stock ones, and the Keeley, they put a blue light on it. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, it just feels like it's customized more. But if I was blindfolded and someone gave me the regular DS1 and the Keeley one, I, I'm kind of like yeah. you. There's a slight difference. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, you know, all those records, the Satriani and Steve Vai and George Lynch, all the classic stuff, it's all the original DS1. It's true, yeah. I remember my first real rock gig was opening a series of shows with my band Zenner for Joe Satriani, and I would just be at Soundcheck. The sound was so amazing, and I would look at it, and yeah, you had the DS1 going into the Marshall. It sure was huge, I have to say. You know, I read uh, in an interview, I think he runs the amp fairly dry or fairly clean and uses the DS-1 for most of the distortion. That's the thing. With every combination, it's so important to to consider which amp you're running your pedal into. It always makes right. a huge difference. So it's just so important to just experiment until you find your tone. And, then, and the hard part is that you always have to 
try it with a band too. Like sometimes you'll hear right. in your bedroom or your garage, and you're like, "Oh, this is the ultimate dream tone." And then you get on stage, and uh, everything from what kind of symbols the drummer is drummer is using to oh, yeah. the acoustical properties of the room to Abs- how much yeah. volume you have, all those things to affect your tone. Totally. And every time the drummer hits his snare drum, it takes away some of your guitar tone. You brought up ACDC before. They're, they have not that distorted a, of a tone, and you can really hear each string ringing. You know, sometimes that really distorted kind of sound is really awesome. Yeah. Do you have any um, favorite modulation pedals like chorus, phaser, univibe, any of that kind of stuff? Um, I really like the, there's a pedal, I don't know how many people use the Boss Slicer. That's a really oh. fun one to run in stereo. It chops up your pedal like a helicopter kind of a sound. I mean, yeah. And all these different kind of techno patterns, or it's fun to just kick it on for a second. And if you're running two amps, talk about like the, the left and right thing of it going back and forth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's really fun. I haven't even tried the slicer with two amps. Yeah, that's the most insane pedal. It does, I don't know, something like 50 different patterns and then you can adjust each pattern exactly and you can set it to where you can go really fast oh yeah you want to go ridiculously fast you can tap in the tempo so you can have it instantly just with the tempo of the band so when you step on it it's like it's a very modern sounding pedal and then you can also adjust like the cut so like either it's a really hard square wave or more of a round wave so pack of each one jude one of the most amazing things about your playing is you have developed this kind of slapping, tapping kind of style. It reminds me of Eddie Van Halen's intro on Mean Street, only you've kind of taken it way farther. How did you come up with this technique? Oh, well, thanks for noticing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is just, again, where I grew up in like the Oakland, Berkeley area, which is such a funky area, really, in terms of punk music was really huge there when i was 18 that music was ruling the clubs and the chili peppers came through quite a right. bit uh-huh. with a great flea slapping the bass yeah i mean they were packing giant clubs but they weren't playing arenas yet they were playing like you know 2000 seaters and it would just be a zoo in there it would just be insane uh-huh so all I loved all that stuff and play bass and then but also Van Halen yeah absolutely the way that I guess he would mostly kind of tap and get like the harmonics mm-hmm. to ring out 12 frets higher with some really great distortion oh you know, yeah like on the beginning of Mean Street or yeah or like Dance the Night Away or stuff like where you just get these harmonics screaming through they sound like they sound magical so yeah, yeah. kind of mix those two things together I think like basically the 70s funk and and soul and disco with the hard rock and yeah. love it. It's so cool. Have you ever used the slicer with that style of technique? Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, but, you know, the slicer kind of competes a little bit because it's very rhythmic itself. Right. You use it on select notes within a riff, like you play in a riff and for half the riff, kick on the slicer and then take it off, like that sort of a thing where the slicer's in time. Jude, do you, um, have you ever used boss drum machines or metronomes or do you recommend those for students i've known many people who've gotten incredible stuff out of dr rhythms and stuff like that i had a rolling drum machine in high school that white one oh, what was it? it had like two different snare drums on it and one had a huge gated sound to it and did all my early demos on that it was really fun jude you went to 
college, you're the head of a music school, you have a hugely successful career as a guitarist, and then you're, you've also done all these other things on the side, being a guitar player, magazine editor. Do you have any simple advice you could give a young guitar player growing up? That's always an interesting one, but um, of course I would be honored to, to advise anyone. And number one, expect the unexpected. I think very few musicians' careers have ever turned out the way they envisioned or hoped they would. And even that goes for the successful ones, too. You just uh-huh. don't know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. There's this one email that I refer to quite a bit that Paul Gilbert wrote to a parent of a student who was wondering, like, you know, should I send my student to music school? Is, is he going to be able to get a job? Is my son going to be able to be able to working in this industry? And, and what he said really sums it up for me, which is like, listen, if your son is good with people, if your son meets his obligations, if your son enjoys what he's doing, if your son knows what he wants to do and really pursues this, you know, and and has the love for the music, like everything else will fall into place. If you if you bring all that to the table and you come through for other people, you don't over promise but you over deliver, you will find a place in the industry to do your thing, you know? And that's important to know. Wow. Just having that kind of a cool attitude towards things and, and being a positive people person that people like to be around. Wow, that's just some deep words of wisdom. Paul Gilbert's a pretty smart guy. He's not quite as old as me. <laughs> he's been around for a while, and he's been through a lot of different things. I asked a kind of a similar question to Pat Metheny at the end of my interview with him, and he just said, always be the worst guy in whatever band you're in. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true. You learn so much when you're playing with some people who are more experienced with you. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I got to play with uh, Tim Bogert and Carmine Apice on Vanilla Fudge. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I learned so much on that gig. Any last words about Boss, Jude? Boss, wow. Believe it or not, sometimes I think Boss is almost underrated. It's such an amazing company. It's like, you know, it's one of the elements that should be on the periodic table. You just got Boss pedals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the people are obsessed with all this boutique stuff right now, but Vost is just the most solid brand, and the, and the quality control is so amazing, too. That's one thing that I'm always stunned by. These pedals last forever. They're built so well. Yep. Um, I can't say enough about Boss and the consistency, and my pedal board has always been probably 70% Boss. It runs all off one power supply. And uh-huh. I, I just love the company. I always know that I'm going to be satisfied with every product that I've purchased. And I really respect how Boss, like, a lot of companies will, you know, kind of give industry people free stuff. Like, Boss doesn't really have to do that. Like, every Boss pedal I've had, for the most part, I've had to purchase myself at Guitar Center, (laughs) you know? And I'll do a lot of that before before a gig or a tour or something. I'll be like, man, I just need something that'll work. Like, I grabbed the, what is it, the ME50? Oh, yeah, multiple I effects. Had a string of dates one time, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to bring a giant pedal board. I just want a three. I just, you know, I just went to Guitar Center the night before and bought that thing, and I was so happy with it. And oh. another thing I love, too, by the way, is the Boss pedal cases. Oh, yeah, BCBs. Mm-hmm. Those are killer. I and mean, all these pedal boards out there on the market, and they're all kind of a pain. That one is so simple. You can just throw your pedals in there. If you're flying an airline, say they do charge you, you can put that in your suitcase and, and also all your clothes yeah. and still come in underneath 50 pounds and you don't have to pay an extra $25. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm really happy with all of them. Thanks so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. What an honor to be interviewed by you. Thanks for having me. After the interview, Jude sent me an email that said, Hey, I also use a Boss Giga Delay, a Roland G5 V-Strap, an Octaver pedal, a harmonist, a compressor, a stereo chorus, and so much more that he didn't get a chance to talk about. Boss does make a lot of stuff. You can find out about it all at bossus.com. That's it for this show. Thanks to Jude Gold for taking time out of his busy scheduled MI and coming on the show. Thank you for using Boss Gear. Paul Hansetane, see you later. Thank mm-hmm. you.